Hello, Rich Bolas here, and thank you for downloading this episode of the Dad Mindset Show. First up, I want to check in with you. How are you doing at the moment? I really hope you're well. I hope this parenting adventure is not getting you down too much. You know, I know it can be super tough, but it can also be massively rewarding. Hopefully, today's guest can give a little bit of motivation to keep you going. His name is Mark Tamhane, and he's a veteran journalist, a writer, and dad of six, who writes about his experiences and what has worked in his family. The fascinating thing for me is that Mark has three young children, as well as three older children, so is fathering basically on either end of the age spectrum, all at the same time. I hope you thoroughly enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Mark Tamhane, welcome to the show. Thanks very much, Rich. It's great to finally meet face to face. Now, you're you're a veteran journalist, which I massively admire, and a writer, and you're also a dad of six, which I also massively admire. So can you tell me first up, what's it like having six kids, Mark? Look, it certainly wasn't what I was planning. I'm an only child, so I was uh, brought up uh, with just me and my parents and the thought of having other children around filled me with dread. And I remember when I was about 15 or 16, um, I had a girlfriend who came from a very big, noisy family. And I remember going around to their house and just being absolutely horrified at the noise and the chaos and everything like that. Look, it wasn't something that I necessarily planned. My wife and I, uh, my wife sort of suddenly fell pregnant while we were living in England and it kind of uh, went from there. So I had a I had a first family with her. Then unfortunately we split up. Uh, but uh, quite late on in life, I met um, I met my ideal partner, my current wife, and uh, we decided we we kind of talked about the um, the things that were most important to us. And what we both what both came out on top was family. Um, my my kids and my first marriage, her family, her relationship with her mother. And we decided that since family was so important to us, we should really kind of have our own family. And so we started off with one child. After a couple of years, we thought, well, look, what happens if he's ends up on his own? And uh, what happens if he falls out with his brothers and big brothers and sisters and doesn't get on with them and he'll 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 be on his own so we decided to have a second child and then the third one was sort of like a, a total surprise who came along sort of uh, 14 15 months later after the first one while my wife was still breastfeeding so uh dads yes that can happen <laughs> you know don't believe all that stuff about you can't get pregnant while you're breastfeeding because it certainly does happen so uh i've ended up with two lots of three children or six in total. But I think the, the, the interesting thing I should say, Rich, is that, uh, you know, you can think of them as six children, but they're actually six really different people. And um, I think that's really the key to them is that they are just so vastly different. The eldest one is a climate scientist. He's 24. Um, and he is a total, you know, part of the Mensa club, practically. He's just incredibly intelligent. And I never had the kind of aptitude that he has for facts and figures and research and the, and diligence, to, you know, just the sheer hard work that he's done to get where he is. 
And then so we've got him at one end and at the other end we've got this really feisty, quite quite uh, grumbly three-year-old uh, girl um, who is sort of quite unlike any of the other children in between. So it's, I guess, <laughs> I, I almost feel like, you know, I've got all these balls in the air and but it's just really dealing with, I guess, a whole lot of different people and a whole lot of different personalities. How do you actually balance the needs of the older children with the younger children? Well, at the moment, um, I only have three of them living with me from my second uh, relationship. The the three older ones live with their mum in Sydney. We had to make a decision about uh, three or four years ago that uh, uh, my my second set of three children are all fairly close together in age. And we were living in Sydney and we had no real family support. So we decided to move back to Melbourne um, for uh, my parents were also, um, they're also, my, my father's in his 90s and um, my mum is 86. And as an only child, I sort of felt I had some sort of obligation to them too. So I wanted to be nearer to them as well. They live in Melbourne. And uh, so most of the time, it's just the three younger ones. But when the bigger ones come to visit, uh, it's just fantastic. The kind of relationship that they have uh, between them is is I don't know you just can't put your finger on it there there's usually sort of an awkward kind of 15 20 seconds when they first get together and then the ice is totally broken and they will just kind of seamlessly seem to fit in with each other you know they'll be jumping into in and out of each other's beds the little ones will be climbing all over the big one because he's just such a big uh, such a big hunk he can lie on his side and the little kids just love clambering all over him and so in that way, they get on fantastically well. Uh, it's great. The big kids will entertain the little ones while I might be able to do things like get dinner ready, do those sorts of practical things. In terms of balancing their needs and wants, uh, I did this a lot when we were in Sydney and I used to have my elder daughters some of the some of the time and we had the little ones. And I guess you just basically prioritise and you realise that everybody has something important that they want or they need to do. And it's just really finding a way to balance all that sort of stuff. So my two elder daughters were really into sport. So we would run them around to their sport. But in between, I might duck off with my my son to a nearby playground. We would have a really good play. And then we would come back and pick up my daughter from sport. Or we would try and schedule in a lunch or a family meal in between all those commitments. And it wasn't always easy. But somehow we kind of made it work, and that's the thing. You you find a way to make it work. My wife was always saying to me, "How are we gonna How are we going to make it work with you know with, with just one child? With you've already got three big ones. How are we going to make it work with with two? And I just sort of said to her, "Well, look, you just kind of do. You know, you just kind of muddle through. You do it, and you try and keep everyone happy." Most of the time, most people are happy. Occasionally, there will be sometimes you're just going to have to say, no, look, you know, sorry, you just cannot go to that party because we've got this big family event the next day or some something like that. But, you know, the, the number of times I was able to say, no, we can't take you to that or no, we can't do that, you know, I could practically count on one hand, I think. That's pretty amazing, Mark. And do you find that it's been um, almost like a conscious thing of allocating time 
to each one or just being very sort of do, does it feel like a rotating sort of priority wheel where you go oh yeah i haven't given much um you know attention to jack for a while or that sort of thing or, or has it just been more of a natural organic process yeah i think it's just more a natural organic process and you know you we my wife and i run a joint calendar we say oh well look we've got this party for charlotte on this day uh, don't forget Grace's kindy uh, Zoom meeting tonight, uh, and and so we just we just kind of balance those things. The younger three are usually pretty much all together um, most of the time, so they kind of they do a lot of actually entertaining each other, and so I, I guess that's the difference between when you're parenting sort of one child and when you're parenting two, three, four, five, or six. And in in many ways, uh, you know, with one child, it's, right, we're, we're going to do this event. We're going to, I'm going to take them out here. I'm going to go to this playground or I'm going to do this. And then we're going to the science museum because I know they have this particular exhibition on. And you find yourself much more kind of in a, in a sort of a planning mode, whereas with more children, you know, they, they'll often tend to entertain themselves and be quite happy playing with each other. I mean, they won't always last for very long <laughs> and they'll get sick of each other. But if they see one sees one doing an activity, they'll want to try and do that for a while and then they might wander off onto something else. But it's it's almost like they're being, in a sense, almost like parented by their parents and also by their elder brothers and sisters and by their brothers and sisters. So it's almost like... It's almost like familying rather than parenting in many in yeah. many ways. I don't I don't know if you found that because you I, I know you've got three children. So. Yeah, well, I, I was definitely going to say in your case, Mark, it almost feels like the older kids uh, are kind of like aunts and uncles to the younger kids, but a bit more invested. I don't I don't know. That's what it seems looking in from the outside. Um, they were um, particularly protective when the the younger ones were very little, and in fact, uh, we used to carry my. Uh, my first son for my uh, second marriage, uh, Jack, everywhere. And uh, the girls would carry him as well. And as a, as a result, he didn't need to learn to walk till he was about 15 months old, which was actually sort of quite late. And, and now I look back and I realise it was because he didn't need to because we were carrying him everywhere. And if it wasn't me, if it wasn't his mother, it was one of his, either his teenage or his tweenage uh uh, sisters, siblings that would carry him around everywhere. So he didn't need to walk. <laughs> That's fantastic. It's almost like, you know, in a lot of African cultures, the children never touch the ground because they're just always being carried. And it's actually supposed to be really good for the kids, you know, from a connection perspective. Oh, he's absolutely uh, devoted to them. And I like to think almost that he was, you know, as well as being brought up by me and his mother, that he was partly really brought up by particularly his his elder two sisters his his brother was um doing a lot of study and and then starting uni and those sorts of things uh but uh so we didn't see as much of him but I but he's got this incredibly close relationship with his with his elder two sisters and he's you know he just loves them to bits and they 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 were just fantastic with him uh, I, you know and you're right they were like they were like these incredibly caring sort of almost like aunts and everything. And the great thing was is that they basically were with him from when he was, I think, about uh, three hours old. And so they had this really strong connection with him from basically the moment he was born. It was great. So 
the uh, hospital that my wife uh, uh, had him at, uh, they, they were really keen on sort of getting women out the door as soon as possible, maybe a bit too early. <laughs> and uh, so the girls and I, you know, went and picked her and, and little Jack up and, you know, he was all of sort of three or four hours old. Yeah. I I don't know whether you found it as well, but I, I find that it, having sort of as much family around as possible when you've got young children makes such a difference. Like that support network, even if it is just like, can you hold this baby for a minute? You know, it just takes so much stress off you to enable you to get through that, like the, the maelstrom of what it is to be a parent in those first few days. It is, it is great. And um, I mean, it's even great now, you know, um, uh, my mother-in-law lives around the corner with her partner and we're sort of often around there and she's often around here. Just And just the different things they do with their different grandparents is really, really interesting and the different experiences they get. Uh, their grandparents are a range of ages, obviously, because I'm a lot older than my um, second wife. Uh, uh, you know, her, her mum's in her 60s, but my parents obviously are, you know, almost like, 20, 30 years older. So, uh, I, you know, just the, the, the range of experiences that the, the kids get from their, from, their, um, uh, from their grandparents and from having other people around and their brothers and sisters around is just great. And it's, it, it's almost like um, it, it, I, I think as parents, you know, you can only sort of give your kids so much and that they, the fact is that they're getting all this other stuff from all these other family members is just invaluable and something they'll never take away. And it also gives them this fantastic sense of belonging, that they, that they do come from this slightly crazy, big, um, complicated <laughs> family. But it's great. And it, it, it really gives them an, an sort of an important sense of belonging. And they're always sort of asking after their family members and their brothers and sisters, uh, which is which is really which is really great. Yeah, I love that sort of change from you know where we I think societally have, have really um, contracted into this really single household family of you know two point four kids and two parents. I, I, th- I think it's wonderful when you just have so many more personalities in the in the space more regularly, and I think there's a lot to be said for those sort of huge intergenerational families and and the sort of richness that it, it brings to the the children's up- upbringing. But um, one of the questions that sort of made me think. Uh, well, you made me think of there, Mark, was you, you've written a bit about good enough parenting as well. Can you sort of double click on, on your thoughts around that, uh, especially having such a large family? Look, uh, as a bit of a disclaimer here, Rich, I should sort of say that I'm I'm not a parenting guru, I'm not a parenting <laughs> expert, and I have no sort of great theory of parenting. But um, when I kind of uh, and I, I really started writing about uh, this kind of subject because a lot of the stuff um, I saw um, was either written by mums, and you could sort of, you know, there was a there was a lot of stuff around at the time from publications like Mamma Mia, which was women writing about their struggles and their particular ups and downs with their children, and then I saw more general stuff written about. Um, parenting and a, a lot of it, to be honest, to me, didn't sort of seem to be very authentic or very good. And then I kind of discovered that, uh, uh, particularly in the organisation that I worked in, some of the people writing about parenting didn't actually have kids. <laughs> I, I, I always used to think I was an, an amazing parent until I had kids. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, 
I don't, I mean, to write about rocket science, you don't have to be a rocket scientist, but I think to write about um, something that, you know, fundamentally really changes your life, you need to have some kind of perspective. And I just felt that a lot of that stuff was lacking and a lot of stuff didn't really kind of tackle how um, how dads uh, felt or approach things and really wasn't sort of from a dad's kind of perspective. So I, I, I guess the point I sort of wanted to make that uh, where the good enough parenting ethos kind of fitted in, and this was originally an idea that was actually first floated in the 1930s by a, 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 a British guy called uh, Donald uh, Woolacott, uh, and he did some um, lectures for the BBC on the radio. And then about sort of 30 or 40 years later, uh, uh, an Austrian psychologist called uh, Bruno Bettelheim took this idea and kind of developed it into the good enough parent originally um, uh, originally, the, the concept was the good enough mother. And you kind of think about everything that happened and that, you know, you're constantly balancing the needs and wants of six different individuals. Uh, you're trying to do the best you can. Uh, you, you've got all these parenting books on the shelf, but you actually haven't had the time to pick them up and read them. <laughs> But you seem to be muddling through. This kids seem to be thriving. They're doing all right at school. They've got a good set of friends. Uh, they're happy in themselves. And most of their time, they're pretty happy with you. And if I guess if you honestly took them aside and you said, you know, can you give your parents a mark out of <laughs> out of 10? Well, you know, you know, at least it wouldn't be sort of in five and under. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so. It got me thinking, and um, I came across this theory of the the good enough parent, and the idea that you can't be perfect, you can't um, make this incredible, uh, perfect world and perfect family for your kids. You've got your own flaws. You're going to be tired at times. I spent uh, the first g um, twenty years of being a parent maybe even more being absolutely shattered because I was working really I was working crazy shifts I was working very early shifts so in the afternoon I was just almost like you know collapsed on the sofa but at least I was around and um, I was there to cook dinner and I was there to do the school pickups and even though I wasn't the world's most present parent probably because I was sort of half asleep <laughs> um, uh, at least I was kind of there and I and I thought to myself, Look, I probably did the best that I could, and the the kind of concept I think of the good enough parent is that uh, you're um, you're doing the best that you can within your means, uh, within your bandwidth, and you, you you constantly you know you make mistakes, but you you are really sort of genuinely doing your best, and if it's not perfect or whatever, that's okay, um, because the world is not perfect. And so children get to learn that not everything is kind of hunky-dory and fantastic all the time. Their parents will be grumpy. Their parents will get mad at them for not doing their homework. Um, you know, dinner may not be a particular success one one night or something like that. But you know what? You you sort of did your best. And in the end, I guess that that's really all that matters. Yeah. And I think there's... Some things that flow on from that is that 
I found for myself that the key was letting go of this, I guess, image that I thought I had to uphold early on around, you know, I would have these pangs of like embarrassment if I couldn't, I'd said to, you know, my eldest or someone in the playground, no, no, don't do that. We've got to go now. And there'd be like meltdowns and stuff. I'd feel embarrassed and, you know, people would be looking around and stuff. And, and I'd really, I used to actually care about what people thought of me. And it was so, I guess, liberating when I started to let go of that. Like, you know what? doesn't matter what's going on around who sees what or what they think and and just focusing on just being present and try and I'm not perfect at this at all but just trying to actually just be there as a parent with my child and it's just us we don't care what the outside world thinks and that was actually really freeing and all of a sudden we just had way more fun and then if you know they didn't want to do something we just talk it through you know goof around and stuff but letting go of what the outside world thought or you thought they thought was actually one of the key turning points for me as to actually just showing up and being 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 there in that sort of little capsule I guess of of family Uh, and that was um, that allowed me to sort of not beat myself up a lot as well and I think there's all these sort of expectations that we put on ourselves and and being able to step out of that is um, yeah breath of fresh air Social things like social media are obviously great for keeping in contact with family. Like I've got family all around the world, and I can, you know, being on social media, I can see them, and I can we can put up pictures of the kids, and they can see how their sort of distant cousins on the other side of the world are doing, and those kind of things. But yeah, everything is not Instagrammable or like Facebook or the perfect family, <laughs> and. Um, th- <laughs> I I think, you you know, these days we sort of agonise about whether we we can let ourselves agonise about sort of whether we're doing enough about parents, whether we're being present enough or whatever. But in the end, I mean, you really can only sort of do what you can do and you can only have the time that you have. And, you know, it's obviously that time is even more limited with more children so, like, you know, for argument's sake, in the evening I have to sort of get through two sets of readers <laughs> and um, and prepare dinner, you know, at quite an early, quite an early mark so that they're, they're all ready to go to bed at, uh, you know, seven between – we start sort of putting them down between sort of about seven o'clock and 8.30. And that's – you know, you've got to run it like a military operation. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. um, there isn't possibly the time for a great deal of uh, – you know, dare I say it, warmth sometimes, <laughs> and it's like, come on, we've got to get this done, and there's a bit yeah. of, there's a bit of hurrying up and everything like that, and it's certainly not this sort of wonderful, necessarily Instagram moment of the two, <laughs> uh, you know, the child and the father kind of curled up on the couch in some sort of. Uh, Dreamy existence. Uh, dreamy <laughs> existence and uh, someone's taken this amazing photo of it which they've put up on Instagram with, you know, the hashtag daddy love underneath <laughs> it. It's not like that at all. You know, it's like yeah. can you please clean up your room and yeah. get the toys off the floor so I can set the table for dinner <laughs> without stepping on a piece of your Lego. It's much more. <laughs> I've, I've actually... That's right. I've I've even backed off on the on the toys off the floor now. As long as there's a path between the door and the bed that I'm not going to tread on in the dark, I'm fine yeah, with that. There's always that stray piece of Lego, Rich, that'll get you in yeah. the middle of the night. Uh, 
I actually, I actually copped one on the lounge last night. <laughs> it's, it's, if there was a, I, I remember seeing a picture of like Lego by day, and it looks really benign and colourful, and then Lego by night, it's got like six-inch nail sort of spikes coming out of it. <laughs> it's so true. It is the most incredibly hard stuff. I don't know what they put in it, but it's unbreakable, and it's unbreakable on your on the bottom of your foot. I found. Yeah, totally, <laughs> totally. Now, um, I, I, I think. As, as well, when you're sort of talking about that, Mark, I, I love this idea that, well, I don't actually love the idea, but the, one of the hardest things I think a lot of parents struggle with is they've got such a amount of like things to get through in the day, but it's usually overlaid with like growing your career at that sort of time in life as well, with the sleep deprivation layered on top. It's almost like you're squeezing in like three decades of effort into like three years and and you've got to try and get everything, uh, you know, give everything attention. And and that seems to be one of the hardest things, that idea of sort of, I guess, balance, uh, or at least flicking or switch cost when you switch from one to the other and making sure you're not, you know, sort of, um, or making sure you're doing it as effectively as you can in your sleep depraved, <laughs> deprived haze. So I guess, do you think like the whole sort of COVID situation has really changed this for parents you know this this difference between work and and home and family and all that sort of stuff because i know you've written quite a bit about this too mark it seemed to me that i i I just had a i i had to think about this and i realized that i knew or i'd heard of at least four dads um and you know i'm 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 a person with a sort of fairly small social circle but i had heard in my small little social circle of four dads that during the whole uh kind of uh, working from home COVID experience had totally uh, reassessed their careers. Um, so uh, one was a one was actually the partner in a law firm. Now he had uh, an intellectually disabled son as, and has had for some time. But this son uh, uh, has very strong sort of temper tantrums or whatever, and they were getting in sort of people to to look after this child. And eventually during the pandemic, he said, you know what? I'm giving up my law career. I'm going to look after my son. So that there was, there was him. Then there was another one who's actually a, a relative of my, uh, of my wife. He was quite a big wig in financial services, worked for a big financial services company. And when the pandemic hit, he was basically at home on Zoom meetings from 8 a.m. every morning to 6 p.m. every night. Now, he couldn't get involved with his kids' schoolwork at all. Um, we went round there, I remember, to drop off some stuff outside their door and you could hear him on this sort of endless sort of Zoom meeting. And um, and after a while, he just sort of said, you know what, I'm just, I'm just giving this away. So then he started working for another company. That didn't suit him either. So he left that and he's now a consultant on his own and he's just so much happier. And it actually uh, happened at a fairly fortuitous time for him because his father got very sick. So now he's there for his parents and uh, looking after them. He's able to look after his kids. And not only that, he's just such, uh, so much happier. I remember him coming around before and being almost quite preoccupied and almost like looking for the door the whole time, like, you know, how, <laughs> how much longer have we got to be here? And now he just loves a chat. He's just sort of so laid back. He gets to spend um, time with his children. He helps sort of educate them at home through through sort of long periods of uh, lockdowns in COVID. 
and he's much happier. And I heard about another guy who was working on really major building projects. He was working on a really big building project in Melbourne and he was working 60, 70 hours a week and he had three daughters who he hardly ever saw Um, and his wife was basically raising them on his own. And to get to the next stage in his this big construction project managing firm that he was in, he would have had to have um, uh, got a, a degree, uh, like an MBA or something like that. Uh, and he just thought to himself, this is ridiculous. I'm a really good builder and I'm a really good project manager. And so he sort of joined a smaller company where they do kind of smaller operations. And I found that even... Now he's even scaled back even more. So he's now just doing uh, little little projects and he and his wife are actually uh, planning to pack up their three girls in a caravan and go around Australia. And he's just going to pick up carpentry jobs where he lands because, you know, you always need a good chippy or a good builder. <laughs> yeah. And it's been a sort of a massive kind of uh, scale back for him, but he, I think, had realised that he was not going to be able to spend this sort of really quality time with his daughters as they grew up, and he was missing out on it. And he's he's sort of far far happier, you know, than uh, far happier for it. And there was one more guy I know who sort of worked for a big, you know, worked for a big um, international company, and he was always um, on Zoom meetings and everything. And he thought, you know what, I've just had enough of this. He was taking calls at all hours of the day and night because he was basically working sort of on the Asia-Pacific desk. So he was working across about sort of 10 different time zones. And, uh, was, you know, he'd have early morning Zoom meetings, he'd have Zoom meetings late at night. And he just thought, this is ridiculous. So he quit. He's doing study for two years. And it's also enabled his uh, wife, who is a teacher, to actually do more teaching and it's uh, they can both spend more time with their with their two young girls. So there's kind of this a whole um, uh, a whole sort of suite of people from different walks of life. They're all around their sort of late thirties, early forties that have all had this kind of massive. It, COVID's given this given them this chance to have this sort of massive rethink about what they're doing, the type of work they're doing, the amount of work they're doing, and and really giving them sort of that time and space to sort of reconnect with their families and maybe do something that's more in line with their values, uh, their own happiness yeah. and values, I guess. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's totally been a huge pattern interrupt, like to really stop business as usual and and allow people to really rethink what's important to them and where they put their attention. And I think... The, the most successful sort of transitions I've seen for businesses are the ones that have been really supportive in allowing their staff to, or making sure that their staff, if they're having a late night call, that they take the time off during the next day and really hive out and, and make sure that you're just not getting that sort of work creep into every hour of the day, which is so has been so easy for people during lockdown. I think it's sort of burnt a lot of people out because, you know, you're in the same location 24 hours a day. And all of a sudden you realize you kind of think oh, I've been working 12 hours in the same desk. And, it, and it's so easy to do that if you don't actually pull yourself out of that and do things with the family, do things for yourself, get a bit of exercise 
advertising and and be really deliberate in that and i think uh you know the 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 default was just to keep working for a lot of people and not actually make time for themselves so um it has been really interesting hearing similar stories but um i think one of the things that sort of jump out as well from that pattern interrupt is that coming back to the idea is what what is important now as well because obviously when kids are at a certain age there are certain things you can do at certain stages of of childhood as well and like you build a friend that's going off around australia in a caravan like that seems to be what i'm hearing from a lot of families our age at the moment going well, we've got to do it at a certain time because the eldest one's getting to this stage and, you know, she's not going to want to hang out with us, you know, certainly not in a caravan for three months. And and there's there's definitely certain things that you need to do at certain times if you're going to do them. Um, it's definitely come across our radar quite a bit recently. Yeah, uh, look, I think, uh, I, I guess it's a bit harder for me to balance that because I've got people across so many different age groups. <laughs> but I think, the 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 main thing is is that as long as your kids know that you're there for them in and when they need you in whatever form that is and you know whether it is in taking up uh going off on a caravan around australia and for a year and sort of seeing everything whether that's your bent or whether it might be you know something similar as something as simple as say going for a bushwalk with them or something that you particularly love doing uh, that's another thing i think a lot of people have actually discovered they thought well what's important to me well look you know i like i like bushwalking i like surfing and then and then they've sort of thought what if i could get my kids involved in that i wonder if wonder wonder if they'd be sort of open to that or involved in that and you know the kids have come along and you know done some of it and you you know you obviously have to do some of these things in a limited limited way at first and but it might be also a chance for kids to connect with their fathers, particularly over something that they thought that they had never really been able to connect with their their, their father with um, before, like say you know like bike riding or um, running or bushwalking or those 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 sorts of things. So I think that there has been a really kind of great opportunity here, that sort of circuit breaker that COVID provided um, for me. Uh, I, I kind of looked at all my priorities. I spent most of the last two years doing homeschooling, um, uh, uh, sort of covering most of the homeschooling. And with my son, he was in the early years of school and the school pretty much ran it as a sort of a full day curriculum. So pretty much had to have a parent there most of the time to make sure he had the right piece of paper in front of him because, you know, certainly in the first year, you know, he couldn't read what was on the bit of paper. So that was pretty full on. I was going to say, that's brutal. <laughs> I really sweated through some of those art projects. <laughs> there were some tears and, and mostly from me. <laughs> yeah. So I sort of feel like I kind of did the early years of school all over again um, for myself. But in, in many ways, it was actually really, really informative and really... So, Mike, have you reconnected with your inner artist now? So instead of you taking your son to go surfing and introduce him to things you love, he's actually brought you into his thing, his sphere. Yeah, well, um, you know, we uh, oh, there's some of the artworks that we had to sort of come up with at a moment's notice. Uh, we're just so much we're lucky that my um, we've we sort of hoarded a bit, and we've got quite a few interesting sort of odds and ends in the garage, which we were sort of able to sort of throw together in an hour into some sort of amazing kind of construction. You know, no pressure. <laughs> but, uh... <laughs> Actually, one of the things one of the things Will's got me into. Well, 
I think it was a shared thing. We we just got a lot of drawing pads because I, I love just sketching and stuff like that. And I try and put them on the table at breakfast. And like, there's a brand new pad each, big fat Sharpie marker. And 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 it's just great. I started doodling some robots because um, there's this guy that does robot joy, like drawing robots on dominoes. And uh, started sketching some on some paper and Will got into it. And he's just gone off. He's just drawing robots everywhere now. And it's the best. It's like, you want to spend some good quality time with him? Go, hey, let's draw some robots. And he's like, yes, let's do this. And like knock off like 20 robots in a row. It's It's been great. We had a, a an incident uh, recently where my uh, eldest son and his girlfriend, who's just absolutely lovely, she's a scientist as well, so <laughs> the both of them are so intelligent it's quite frightening to be around them. But uh, they're both they're both wonderful people. They came around for dinner, and I said to I said to the girls, "Look, uh, I've got these bits of scrap paper here. This is going to be a really special dinner because you know Jamie's coming around and he's bringing he's bringing his girlfriend Priya." Uh, why don't you do placemats for them? So they they drew out cool. these placemats for each individual person with, you know, little pictures of that particular person and we use them on the night. And my wife said to me, that's brilliant. This is such a great idea. I said, look, I kept them, I kept them busy for hours <laughs> while I was actually getting dinner ready. So don't tell yeah. anyone, but, you know, it worked a treat. So I thoroughly recommend this. I reckon uh, like your son and his girlfriend would have loved it as well. Oh, they, they thought it was great. And... Um, uh, it was just so sort of refreshing to have the two of them around, and I kind of, I kind of thought, well, I'll just get on with dinner and I'll let them sort of sort things out with the kids. And the stuff that they came up with, I would never have thought of. Uh, you know, my son got the kids outside playing down ball. Uh, his 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 girlfriend, whose expertise is in um, fossilized trees. You know, that's uh, and and radiocarbon dating fossilized trees. She's just incredible. She came up with this incredibly sort of complicated um, kind of fairy story that got the girls involved and got them being different sorts of monsters. It was just incredible, <laughs> just sort of cutting up vegetables, kind of listening to this amazing stuff going on. And you know, the big kids had brought this totally out of their own sort of bag and everything and they had totally kind of captivated the little kids uh, with just this new stuff that I would have never have thought of so you know there's always that sort of wonderful thing when you when you kind of got such a big family that you'll find you know that suddenly someone will come on with this great idea which will kind of captivate like the younger ones or vice versa it's been been that's a that's a really wonderful kind of thing and it takes the heat off you doesn't it mark oh it sure does it's it's great you know and i used to be able to say this to my um to my older daughters as well you know can you just can you just make sure jack has his dinner while i get our dinner ready and uh my um my my daughter who's now uh uh 17 she just became an expert at, at sort of feeding Jackie's dinner or she'd she'd often just sit there she'd get she'd make herself a little snack and sit there with him and make sure he ate his dinner and that was you know the, the minute I knew that she was down there I knew he would eat and I thought gee we're winning you know now I can <laughs> now I can and I could crack on and and make dinner because my wife was working a lot of evenings at that stage so I was kind of the I was kind of the chef and the get ready for bed and the bath guy um, so it was just brilliant having having that kind of help and assistance around. It was just fantastic. 
Yeah. And I love that moment where it feels like you are winning. You look across and you're like, this is amazing. <laughs> like this, it's like a glorious sort of moment in time. It's just incredible. Like, We're winning and I didn't have to do anything. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I accept no, 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 none of the uh, uh, accolades for this, but I'm going to take it. And this dinner's not bad either. <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. Well, Mark, I think that's great because we've almost gone complete circle there. It's It's been fantastic chatting with you. Well, one thing I would like to ask though, just before I let you go, is that moment, you know, you talk about when you walk out the hospital with your like first child. What advice do you think you'd give yourself? What thought would you sort of, you know, just whisper in your ear? <laughs> Gee, uh, that's a that's a tough one, Richard. Um, I think um, I, I think the main thing would be is enjoy it and kind of really go with the flow and stay connected to your kids because um, one of my childhood friends uh, actually. Uh, he um, he started out as a teacher, but within a very sort of short period of time, got more into sort of pastoral work in schools and now runs a kind of program where he's putting fathers back in touch with their daughters, their teenage daughters, and uh, he's putting mothers back in, in touch with their teenage sons. And um, I noticed uh, he popped up in uh, one of uh, the journalist Madonna King's books, and Madonna has just published her third book now on um, teenage girls. And what we find is that teenage girls want more than anything to have this sort of connection with their father, and they sort of see him as this kind of almost absent figure, and all they really want is his kind of attention. So I guess the thing is that when you walk out of the hospital, think this is a really wonderful moment. I'm going to sort of really be in the moment. I'm going to really enjoy it. But you want to try and kind of keep that sort of almost like childlike uh, wonder and enthusiasm in a way for your for your new child to try and keep that going throughout their lives so that even if they think, oh, God, he's that guy that's always in the corner, but at least he was there, you know. At least yeah. boring old dad was there with his bad jokes and everything like that. <laughs> you don't want him to be this sort of uh, not present absentee. father, absentee father, who, you know, the minute he um, – uh, the minute the minute sort of you know the kids came along suddenly developed an interest in long distance bike riding and was gone for weekends and months at a time. <laughs> yeah. I remember you know a, a good friend of mine um, was uh, about to go on paternity leave. His two weeks paternity leave, which is shocking, but anyway, the the amount of time that they give it. And he said to me, his his wife was about to sort of drop their first baby, and he sort of said. Uh, do you think in the second week I'll, I'll be able to go out golfing with my mates? And I said, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Forget the golf for at least a couple of years. Yeah. You know? And he didn't believe me. And uh, sure enough, he came back uh, sort of sheepish and he said, uh, see what you meant. <laughs> I said, look, it's really full on, but look, you know, you might only get one crack at this. So enjoy it and try and keep enjoying it, you know. Yeah. Try and keep up that enthusiasm. And even when you're tired and everything, 
what I do is I try and think of things that I might be interested in or places I might like to go and see. And I'll work out and I'll think, I'd really like to go and see that place outside Melbourne. But I'll look and see if there's a good playground near there. So I can go and have a look at the place. Um, you know, we can have a little look around and uh, we can we can have a little play at the playground and, you know, maybe have a little bite to eat at the pub or something like that. And then everyone's happy. So it's kind of that thing about balancing what you're interested in and what you want to do with these other individuals who need their kind of wants and needs and interests balanced too. And you'll kind of muddle through and it'll be this sort of wonderful mess, I guess. <laughs> and enjoy it is is really my my bottom line advice. Well, Mark, I couldn't have put it better myself. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time today. It's been great. And um yeah, I, I hope you keep charging and, and enjoying it into the future. Well, I've um, I'm recently sort of in the process of retiring, and because um, one I did want to sort of spend more time with my parents, so that my joke with them is that I've now got eight children. <laughs> my mum thinks that's very funny, and I have to sort of now sort out a lot of things for my parents because they obviously can't get around like they used to. So yeah, so it's going to be a busy time. So I'm actually getting more busy, I find, as I get older, not less busy. <laughs> yeah, it's not working out quite the way I had in mind, but, you know, I'll take it. Thanks so much, Mark. Lovely chatting with you, Rich. Well, I hope you really enjoyed this discussion with Mark. If you want, you can find out more about Mark or maybe reach out to him directly to let him know how this conversation landed with you uh, by going to marktamhane.com. That's Mark with a K, T-A-M-H-A-N-E.com. So if you're enjoying this podcast and you'd like to help, the best way to help is to share an episode with someone who you think would also enjoy it. Also, if you can leave a review on Apple Podcasts, that's super helpful. Anyway, until we meet again, hang on in there. I hope you have a great rest of your day. And as ever, enjoy your caffeinated beverage. <laughs> <laughs>